Tonight's scripture reading will be taken from Revelation, the book of Revelations, chapter 22, verses 12 through 15, and that's page 1042, Revelation 22, chapter 15, verses 12 through 15, page 102. And it reads, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recommends with me to repay each one of you for what he has done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehoods. When we talk about the Beatitudes, most of the time people are talking about Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. A Beatitude, though, is a statement that begins with the word blessed. That's all it means. As a matter of fact, beatitude comes from a Latin word that means blessed. And so if you read Matthew 5, 3 through 12, it begins, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And it goes and eight beatitudes in rapid sequence are given to you there in Matthew 5, 3 through 12. But those are not the Beatitudes in the sense that they're the only statements like that in Scripture. If you went to the book of Psalms, you would find a number of Beatitudes. Psalm 32 verse 1, for example, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That's a Beatitude. And throughout the book of Psalms, you'll find a number of Beatitudes. You'll find Beatitudes in the book of Proverbs. You'll find other Beatitudes that Jesus gave besides the one you read in Matthew, the ones you read in Matthew 5. But any statement generally that begins with the word blessed and makes a statement about blessed is the person who does this and this and this can be considered a Beatitude. Tonight we're going to spend some time looking at the seven Beatitudes of Revelation. I don't believe that it's necessarily a coincidence that there are seven in the book. In a book that's filled with symbols and, and symbolic numer uh, numerals and numbers and things like that, the idea that there are seven statements that begin with the word blessed, that's fascinating to stop and consider. And so what I'd want us to do this evening in our study is just this, just let's look at each one of the seven Beatitudes of Revelation and let's consider what they have to teach us about the kind of blessing that God intends for his people. What can I learn about what it means to live a blessed life? What can I learn about what it means to be a blessed person based on what I read in these seven passages? So get your Bible out this evening. We're going to be looking through the book of Revelation. And if you got one of the handouts in the back of the foyer, it's got the scripture references already on there for you. So you don't even have to write that part down. But let's start in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3 as we think about the Beatitudes of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. The scripture says, Blessed is he who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. It's talking about the book of Revelation. 
Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So at the very beginning of the book, as you're reading through this prophecy, this this book that Jesus is giving to John to give to the world, you don't get past verse three before the Bible says you're blessed, not only when you read it, but I'm fascinated by the fact that it says, he who reads aloud. In early Christianity, there was a lot of public scripture reading that was done. We probably would do well as God's people today to read a lot more scripture publicly than we do. And what's being said here is blessed is the one who reads these words aloud and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it. So this is a prophecy, the book of Revelation, that's the kind of literature that it is that is intended to be read aloud to the church, to the people of God. And blessed are those who hear it and keep it, the scripture says. You know, you and I would be blessed if we read more of God's word. We would be blessed if we heard more of God's word in our ears. And that's well worth thinking about. Why is it a blessed thing to hear and to read the word of God? Number one, because of the divine origin of the book. Where did revelation come from? The scripture says that God gave it to Jesus Christ, Revelation 1 verse 1. Jesus then gave it to John, and John is to give it to the church. Where did this information come from? It came from the mouth of God himself. And when we hear from God, it is always a blessing. Why is this a blessed thing? Because of the encouraging message of the book. Behold, I am coming quickly. I am coming soon. We've talked in previous lessons about the fact that the coming of Christ does not always necessarily refer to the end of time, the final coming. It can refer to a judgment in history. And with Christians who were struggling under an empire that was oppressing them, the idea that Jesus is saying, I'm going to deal with this problem. I'm going to deliver you from your suffering. I'm coming quickly, a symbolic coming. That would have been comforting. That would have been encouraging to the people of God who needed to hear such a message. And also, it's a blessing to read God's word because of the faithful promises that it makes. Whoever overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life. Whoever overcomes, I will give a crown of life. Revelation 2, verse 7, Revelation 2, and verse 10. You know, you and I, again, would do well to read more of Scripture. It comes from the mouth of God himself, It gives encouragement, it gives faithful promises, and you can use those promises as the foundation of your very life. You can make plans, you can make goals, you can make all kinds of good judgments because of the promises of God. Blessed is he who hears, blessed is he who reads. Secondly, as we look at the Beatitudes of the book of Revelation, turn over in your Bibles to Revelation 14. And look at verse 13. Revelation 14, verse 13. John writes by inspiration, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit for emphasis, because 
This is something God really wants you to pay attention to. It's repeated. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds, their works follow them. You know, this would have been something that would have been a, a, a reflective type of passage for Christians who literally were in danger of losing their lives for the gospel. What's in it for us? What happens to us when, when my husband or my wife or my brother, when they are put to death because of their faith in Jesus Christ, what's the result of that? Revelation 14 verse 13 doesn't pull any punches. It says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. When you stop and think about death, the Bible has a great deal to say about what it is. The Bible says that death is a certainty. What are the certainties in life we say? They're death and taxes. It's pretty true. Death is a certainty. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, it's appointed a man once to die and after that the judgment. Not only is death certain though, it's going to happen to all of us, but the Bible doesn't say blessed are the dead and stop there. The Bible says that blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. You know, death is an appointment that all of us will keep and yet sometimes it's unexpected. It wasn't something I was expecting to happen. It wasn't something that I was, I was thinking would happen anytime soon. James warns us in James chapter four, verses 14 and 15, that our lives are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And so when you think about the meaning and the implication of Revelation 14, verse 13, think about this. Not everybody that dies, dies in the Lord. Death does not mean the same thing to everyone universally. In Luke chapter 16, verses 19 and following, Jesus tells a story about a rich man and a man named Lazarus. Both of them lived different lives and both of them, when they died, went to different destinations. Lazarus went to a place that was called paradise, the bosom of Abraham. And the rich man went to a place of torment, the scripture says. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. May I ask you a question this evening? Are you in the Lord? How would you know if you were in the Lord? How would you know that it's a blessing for someone who is a Christian to die? How would you know that I'm really in him? The scriptures tell us. The scriptures talk about entering into a relationship with him. The scriptures talk about being blessed as a child of God, participating in the new birth, John chapter three, verse five. We need to think about in our own lives, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, but those who do not die in the Lord, they don't have anything, no hope to look forward to. How we need to think about whether we're in the Lord and the people that we love. Number three this evening, as you think about the Beatitudes in the book of Revelation, turn your Bibles to chapter 16, verse 15. Revelation 16, verse 15. As we think about these seven Beatitudes, these statements that start with the word blessed in the book of Revelation, what does God say is blessed? In Revelation 16, verse 15, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. I always think about those statements. The thief does not tell you when he's going to arrive. He doesn't tell you what time of day. He doesn't even tell you what day. It's going to be a surprise. I'm coming like a thief. 
Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. This is not a literal idea that I've, I've got to keep my clothes on because Jesus might return. What he's saying is an illustration. He's saying that we need to be alert, we need to be watching, we need to be awake because, as Jesus puts it, I'm coming like a thief. As you think about the blessing of watching, consider this. The idea of staying awake. In the Greek language, that is a verb tense that implies continuous action. It's not just that I wake up and I'm, I'm looking for the return of Jesus today, but you know, I kind of forget about it and it doesn't become as much of a, 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 an awareness in my life. No, it's a continuous action. I know that the Lord could return at any time. And I give, I give, I yield to that idea. I constantly think about the idea that this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Blessed is he who constantly stays awake, who watches, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Not only that, but when we think about staying awake, one of the things that the Bible says to do in order to spiritually stay awake is to spend time in prayer. Colossians chapter four and verse two, Paul talked about that. Being alert, being watchful, being vigilant in prayer. The way we pray and the things that we pray about, maybe it's time for us to go and take inventory. What kinds of things are on your list characteristically when you pray to God? What do you say to him? Maybe it's time to stop and, and maybe write some new things down. There are some other matters that I need to be spending time praying about. It's a matter of staying awake, watching for temptation, praying about the people that I love, praying about the people that are around us that need to know the gospel, staying awake, being alert to the devil's influence. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter uses the same expression, staying awake. He says, watch, be sober, for the devil, your adversary, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Stay awake. Blessed is the one who watches. Blessed is the one who keeps his garments so that when I return, Jesus says, he may not be exposed. Next, as you think about Beatitudes in the book of Revelation, turn if you would in your Bibles to chapter 19 and verse 9. Revelation 19 verse 9. Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Chapter 19 verse 9. There is a magnificent anthem of praise from chapter 19.1 all the way down to 19.9. And here is part of what it has to say. The angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Whatever that is, I want to be invited, don't you? Blessed is he who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want to be where the Lamb is. I want to be wherever Jesus is. Let's follow him. Let's pursue him. Let's be his disciples so that there is an invitation extended. Who is invited? Well, look at the passage and what it teaches. The scripture says in verse 7, Who's invited to this marriage supper? The bride is. That's interesting. 
Elsewhere in scripture, the church is called the bride of Christ, is it not? Ephesians chapter five, verses 22 through 33. If I wanna be invited to the marriage supper of the lamb, I need to be a part of what the Bible calls the bride. But not only that, in verse eight, it calls this same group of people, the bride, it calls them the saints, the sanctified ones, the holy ones. How does a person become a saint? I know there's a religious group that says you become a saint when you do some miracles and and after you've died, they can vote on whether or not you were a saint and things like that. The Bible says you become a saint, I become a saint when I am sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible characteristically calls living New Testament Christians saints. And so who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb? The bride is, the saints are, and specifically among the saints, those who have clothed themselves. They've made themselves ready. And if you look carefully at verse eight, it talks about the righteous deeds of the saints. By living for Jesus, by being his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we may walk in them. Ephesians chapter two and verse 10. I'm invited, I'm prepared for the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a blessing to be invited. Next, consider this, Revelation 20 and verse six. This is by far the most puzzling of the Beatitudes. This one's tough. Revelation 20 all by itself is tough. Here's what it says, Revelation 20 verse six. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. People have been puzzling over this for centuries. One of the questions of that verse is, what is the resurrection? Because the Bible says, blessed is the one who shares in the first resurrection. There have been a number of suggestions made. One suggestion is that it refers to baptism. In Romans chapter six, verses one through six, the Bible says that when we are baptized, we are buried with Christ and that we are raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And so some people have suggested, well, the first resurrection is baptism. Others have said, no, 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 there's, there's some reasons why that really doesn't fit this passage very well. And they've suggested this, maybe this has to do with those people that at the cross were raised from the dead. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 52 and 53, the Bible says that at the moment that Jesus gave up his spirit, that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and then it says a number of the rocks were split and many of the saints who had died came out of their graves and they appeared to people. You remember reading that in Matthew? So at the cross, when Jesus died, there were some people that were raised from the dead. And so some have suggested that this first resurrection has to do with those saints that were brought back to life at the cross. And others have said, well, that really doesn't fit very well in the context of Revelation 20 either. That doesn't really make a lot of sense because after all, he hasn't been talking about the cross much at all in this particular passage, okay? What is the first resurrection? Well, some people say it's the resurrection at the end of time, John 5, 28 and 29. Jesus promises that 
everybody who is in the grave will one day hear his voice and all will rise, some to a resurrection of life, those who have done good, those who have done evil to a resurrection of condemnation. So some people have said, well, the first resurrection, I don't know of any others that really fit the context, so that must be it. Maybe the best option is this one, the number four. Maybe the best option is that this has to do with those who were martyred, they were put to death in the first century for the gospel's sake. Because they were faithful to Jesus Christ, because they would hold on to the Bible and they would hold on to the truth and they weren't gonna let it go for anything. They weren't gonna compromise their faith no matter what. And those in the first century who gave their lives willingly because they loved Jesus so much, the Bible seems to be saying that they participate in the first resurrection. In this view, it's a metaphor, the first resurrection. And what it means is that the empire that put those people to death did its very, very best to try to stamp out Christianity, to try to stamp out what they were doing and to try to squash their influence in the world. And what happened instead was the empire fell and the cause that these people died for, it flourished and it grew and it endures even still today. And in that sense, they are participating in the first resurrection. It looked like Christianity was all but done and yet God saw to it that Christianity thrived and the empire that tried to stamp out Christianity did not. And that they would reign with Christ for a thousand years that seems to fit the context. It's not without problems. But think about this. It is a blessing. It is a blessing to give all of ourselves to Jesus Christ. How we need to think about that. Next, Revelation 22, verse 7. Turn your Bibles there. Revelation 22, verse 7. The scripture says, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. If you've been with us in previous lessons this month, as we've talked about the book of Revelation, one of the big messages of Revelation is this. Are you listening? Do not compromise your faith. There will be wicked forces and wicked influences that try their very best to undermine and to cause you to be scared and to cause you to fear for your life and fear for your well-being, do not under any circumstances give up ground that was won at the cross. Don't do it. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Don't compromise no matter what. In this passage, in this beatitude, there is something to see. Behold, I am coming soon. There is also in this passage something to expect. And there is in this passage something to believe. What can you and I hold on to when everybody seems against Jesus Christ and his purposes in the world? What can we hold on to? And the book of Revelation is saying over and over and over again, hold on to this. Jesus has already won the victory. Your task as a Christian is to trust and obey. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Keep the words of the prophecy of this book. Next, Revelation 22 and verse 14. 
As you think about the Beatitudes in the book of Revelation, coming in rapid succession here at the end. Revelation 22, verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Those who wash their robes have right to the tree of life, enter the city by the gates. It's talking about the end of time. It's talking about our heavenly reward. And it's saying, prepare yourself now. What many of these other Beatitudes have said. When I read this Beatitude, I am reminded, and you ought to be as well, that salvation is conditional. You know, the Philippian jailer asked a great question in Acts 16, verse 30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Blessed are those who wash their robes. Salvation is conditional. It is for those who have washed their robes, the Bible says. I'm also reminded of this, that salvation involves cleansing, washing their robes. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, Acts 22 and verse 16. I'm also reminded that salvation involves an enduring walk. It's not just a one-time decision that I make and I don't have to think about my relationship with the Lord. I don't have to pursue holiness. Far from it. The Bible says, walk in the light as he is in the light and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. First John chapter one and verse seven. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Those are the ones who have the right to the tree of life. Those are the ones who enter the city by the gates. Seven beatitudes, seven blessings, well worth our time to study and to think about as God's people. Maybe you're here tonight, you need to obey the gospel and you know that you've not been washed in the blood of the lamb. You're ready to make that happen because you want the cleansing that can only be found in Jesus Christ. If you need to respond this evening to obey the gospel, be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you need to respond and ask for prayers, whatever you need, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing.